shall be saved. So, Father, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you for our sonship. We thank you for the blood that washes us and cleanses us. We thank you that we come together today as one family, sit at the feet at, at Jesus, to sit at the table of grace, to eat freely as we are sons and daughters. Speak to us, not as children, but as mature. Show us, Father. Illuminate our hearts for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the kingdom of God that resides in us. We're humbled before you, Father. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you, Father, that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We can rejoice and say amen. We are one with the Father. We thank you for the Son. We ask your Holy Spirit to have your way tonight. Move according to your will. We participate in what the Spirit of Grace has to say. We give you honor. We give you praise. We give you thanks, Father, because you're so good. You're a good, good God. It's only right that we give you honor and glory. All the glory goes to Jesus. Amen. We thank you, Father, and we honor you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Bless you. You may have a seat. Kids can go to the kids. You're released. Welcome this Sunday. Thank you for coming. Um, quick announcement. Uh, obviously, if you're new here, I don't look. I see if anyone's new here, but you never know. Um, welcome. They're listening online. Uh, toilets are outside. Please, kids in there. Um, that'll do. I think that's enough. It's interesting. Um, the weather's pretty interesting at the moment, isn't it? I don't know if I'm hot, cold, or want to fly a kite today. It took off. And, um, but it's, I love the Word of God, amen? Who loves the Word of God? And don't put your hand up. Who reads it every day? Three people. But I said, don't put your hand up. Make everyone else feel embarrassed now. I'm joking. But the Word of God is, the Bible, the Word of God is, is an awesome revelation, not just revelation from God's word to us, but it's the substance and to sustain us through our walk. Who he can go without breakfast every day for the rest of your life? Me. Who can go breakfast, lunch and tea without food? Drinking water. I mean, in the natural, we need to eat and we need to drink. We need to sleep. So in the spiritual, what changes? We need to fill us with the word of God. Line upon line and precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. You know, for, for many years people get a revelation of, of God's word. And it is a revelation, but they never move on from that revelation. And God's building. Just like if I lay a foundation of a house, I haven't got a house yet, I've got the foundation. Put the walls up. Great, they look good, but there's no roof. Until I put the roof on, still can't move in. There's no room, still I build it. Until I complete the whole house, then I can say I've got a home. I've got a house. So I can't just get a revelation. Wow, look at the concrete. I got it cheap. I paid cash. So all the lebs say amen. But anyway, but the full story, the full picture, the Bible's like that. He's building our lives with the word. He's building us line upon line and precept upon precept. And over the years, I've seen people get derailed because they won't submit to the word or they want a word that encourages them, but they don't want truth. Sometimes the truth hurts. So I want God. I want the word. I'm searching the scripture to find out what justifies my actions. But reality says that, you know, you might not need what you want to hear. You might need to know what God wants you to hear. Hardest thing is to tell someone truth that they don't want to hear. That can derail your walk. Other times it's learning things out of context and, and false teachings. Now, over the years, you'll probably find a lot of people teaching some scriptures and teaching some teachings, and I don't believe they're out to, to deceive anyone or to trick anyone, but it's just their understanding at that time. But sometimes we can get caught up in teachings and doctrines that are not of God. Or there's a little bit of yeast that's been added. You know, Jesus said, we're wary of the yeast of the Pharisees. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. 
And the scripture, it can be used as a powerful tool to live. The Bible says the word of God is like a sword. Sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Also, you can destroy people. This word is so powerful. In the right hands with a humble heart who's submitted and live a life of sacrifice. and It's a powerful tool. To those who want to deceive, to those who want to manipulate, it can destroy your life. And it's, the Bible says, be hearers of the word and then doers of the word. But if you hear wrong, you'll do wrong. If you hear wrong and you hear what's coming out from here, from anywhere, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and he rebuked Pharisees. If you look, the more I studied, the more he spent most of his time rebuking the religious leaders of his day. Why was that? Because they had the keys to the kingdom and they locked it up because of their false teachings and their, and their greedy hearts and their hearts of envy. Their hearts. They were doing Satan. He called them the you of your father, the devil. So Jesus spent a lot of time now, been saved 20 years, been in church most of that time and I've heard most teachings about what we're going to talk about today. Now, the biggest issue we have in, in, in society, in family, in the body of Christ is money. Who would agree? Money is the greatest obstacle for destruction. But it's just another substance, another tool in the kingdom. We need money to put petrol in the fees. We need money to do it. Money, someone said money makes the world go around. But that's if you're in the world, kingdom of the world. But also the, the money has been in, infiltrated, and if it's not dealt with, just like anything else, you know, it's another part of what the enemy uses to bring people down or to hurt people. And the money question is probably the most, if you look at it across the board in the body of Christ, it's probably the most destructive because the first thing someone says, oh, they're going to take your money. True? That was one of them. Oh, they're going to take your money. And it's the hardest thing is because Jesus said that money, well, the Bible says that there's only two roots in the Bible that, uh, that they warned you of, the root of bitterness and the root of the love of money. The money in itself is not evil. It's the love of it is evil. And we're going to see a, a, a bit of a picture here. So the hardest thing is for those who have been in the church a while is to unlearn what you've learned that you think is right. One of the hardest things for me is when, and that doesn't mean that what you learnt or what you heard or what you believed for a long time is totally wrong, but it's on a weak foundation. So when the Lord touched my heart a few years ago, or well, a bit longer than that, I was learning principles of the Word of God and I was excited. But when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, because sometimes we only live off someone else's faith, what the pastor said, what the minister said, what my church used to say. And as a young believer, that's all you know. But as you start to grow in the things of God and the Holy Spirit becomes your teacher, you start seeing things that hang on. That doesn't marry up to what the Lord's showing me. But that's what everyone believes. Just because a lot of people believe something doesn't make it right. So to unlearn things that you've learned, and they might be right in principle, but they're out of context. So I'm going to share a story today that if you've been around the church long enough, you probably would have heard this story a million times. And today we talk about the poor widow about the widow giving into the temple. Now, if you're like me and been around a bit, you would have heard this. There's probably three things you hear in an offering message in most churches. Malachi, give and it should be given unto you, pressed down, shaken and run up over, and the widow. Probably the most common scriptures that you would hear about giving. Now, today's not an anti-giving message or please give me your money message. It's not about you need to do this. It's about your heart towards the kingdom. Because if your heart is for the kingdom, I don't need to ask, or rabbis don't need to ask to give. You just give freely because it's going to the kingdom. But you need to trust. You need to know that, that whatever you give, your time, your effort, your money, is going towards the kingdom. Amen? We don't do this for money. But unfortunately, it has been abused. Now, we're going to talk about some things here, and we'll, and we'll address a few issues. But the money thing is no different then your talent, your time, your family, your job, it all has to be submitted to Christ. Amen? Everything you have today is for the kingdom, if you're a true believer. But we don't do things out of manipulation. We don't do things out of, I must. We do this out of faith through grace. Amen? 
Rabbi shared something a couple weeks ago about the grace to give. Very important. God puts on your heart to give, and he gives you the grace to do it. To some people, giving is easy. Some people, giving is not that easy. Some people, receiving is difficult. It's a two-way street. But we're going to share this story, so I hope this list. Today's objective today is to learn, let the Holy Spirit teach you what Scripture is really saying. And the second thing is that, that you'll be free enough to know that you're beloved by the Father, and He's your provider, and whatever He asks you for, He'll provide all your needs according to His riches. Amen? You need to be safe to know that the Master's controlling it all. Amen? I think I said to someone once, he was telling me about giving and receiving about money, and I said, you've got more odds at the tab. The way you treat God is like a, a going to the TAB or you're going to a bookie. If I gave this much, he's going to give me this much back. God owes us nothing. God is, God's given us enough. He's given us Jesus, amen? He owes us nothing. So I think some sacred cows will fall down today and hopefully will set you free. Because who the sun sets free? Free indeed, amen? All right. I had, in order to come to God, you must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you truly seek after the heart of God, God does some funny things. See, sometimes God will do things in your life that he won't do in your friend's life. Because there's something in your life that's trapped that God wants to unlock. And he does it individually because he's a personal God and he's a corporate God. Amen. We're in the body of Christ here together. We, we came here to worship Jesus, to acknowledge that he's our Lord and Savior. So he's working corporately, but individually, the Holy Spirit's working with us individually. That's why he said, I must go. It's better that I go. That the comforter will come. If you're writing notes down, which you can see a lot of pens and everything, but the, God does not bless formula. He blesses relationship. You don't get nothing from God because, oh, look, Lord, I gave to the poor. Look, God, I've done this. Look, God, I've done that. But if you have no relationship with him, you don't get blessed. You're out of favor. Now, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. So God's grace is on this earth right now. If you're good and bad, the sun still comes up. But when we're talking about kingdom principles, don't think that God owes you anything because he does not. Get that fallacy out of your head. God owes us nothing. We don't do anything to get. We do it. Are you willing to do something for Christ with no value to you? See, we have a generation of what's in it for me. What's in it for me if I do that? What's in it for me if I give up my time? What's in it for me? It's all about me. It's about what, what can I get out of it? It's not about what the kingdom wants. What does the king want us to do? What does Jesus want you to do? Big difference. You know, there's so many promises in the Bible. He says, my promises are yes and amen. But he wants to know where your heart issue is because he doesn't want the blessing to destroy your life. So let's, well, let's have a look at this. So Let's go to, now we, we've done a little bit of a, Thank you, Becky, for helping me out here. Let's go to um, um, Mark chapter 12, verse 41. So I'll just quickly, Becky did this for me now, just so I save time. Now, I'm going to read, let's read the widow's mind, verse 41. I'll read it right there. Now, Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then a poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrum, which is really in equivalent two cents. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Surely I say unto you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they have put all out of their abundance, but she has put out of her po uh, poverty. But in all that she had, all her livelihood. If we look at the same story in Luke 21, I'm not going to read it. It's exactly the same story. Looked up and saw, saw a rich putting in into the treasury and saw also a certain poor woman putting into the two mites. So he said, truly I say unto you, the poor woman has put in more than them all. For these are put out of their abundance and put into their offerings for God. But she out of her poverty put in all her livelihood that she had. Now if you read that in its context in itself, in days gone by, you'd read that, and they would say to you, see, that woman gave sacrificially. That woman gave it all to God. And she gave more. Even it wasn't the amount that she gave. It was she had a heart for God and she gave it all. While the rich gave out of their abundance. And in its context, in the, on its own, that sounds correct, does it not? That's how it seems on face value. It says that the woman gave... 
And the one that got me many years ago, and and I want to share this in context. It's a little bit of a teaching, so please don't fall asleep. I know it's Sunday afternoon. And children, wake up. Look at me. Look at me. I remember at school, I used to be telling jokes at the back. You have something to say, Tony? Try to get up and start telling a joke. Like, sit down, sit down, sit down. We don't want you to tell you a joke first. So it's, wake up, don't sleep. I want you to get this. All right? Is that what you do, Becky? Every day? You know, you know what I heard the most at school for me? Get out! So I just walk out. On you, the principal by first name basis. So, <laughs> I don't know why I went down that road. Anyway, so the widow gave and in, on the face value. So let's, let's, let scripture interpret scripture. Okay? Before you just walk out and throw rocks at me and saying I'm teaching something false, wait till the end, then you can throw rocks at me. In both accounts, it talks about Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. So as soon as Jesus leaves the temple, he goes outside. Look what he says here. And then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones or what buildings are here. So he's looking at Solomon's and the temple colonnade and Solomon's temple, how nice the building was. And Jesus answers him and said to him, Do you see these great buildings that you like, that you, you think that's a blessing? Look what he says. Not one stone should be left upon another. Not, not, that, not shall not one be thrown down. In other words, the temple's coming down. He was predicting the, the destroy, destruction of the temple, which happened in 70 AD after Christ, when the Romans overrun and destroyed the temple. The next verse, the next heading is, is the signs of the times and the end of the age. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, so now he's in the temple, he's watching, he's in the treasury, watching what they're doing. They walk out of the temple, the disciples speak to him. And then he starts to teach. And they say, when is the sign of this time? When is this going to happen? And he says, tell us when you, these things will happen and when's the fulfillment. We're not going to get into that. But I just want to show you a pattern here. And if you, if you go to verse 5 and to 6 and to 7, it's exactly the same. The widow in the temple comes outside. They ask him a question about the temple. And then he says, when is the, when's, the, when's the sign of the kingdom? When are you going to you know, rule and reign? Is it the same account? Is it the same story? We're talking about the same story here, yeah? See, in the Bible, if they mention it once, it's important. If it's mentioned twice, it's verily important. It's a joke. If it's mentioned three times, it's verily, verily important. I worked on that all day. No one laughed anyway. If it's there once, we need to know what it's there for. If it's there twice, but it's three times. Here we got it twice. So we've got the same story. Mark and Luke record the same account and the same story. Here we talk about the widow. And she's giving. Now, as I said, to me, I'm not talking about you, to me, I heard this scripture used. God's watching the offering. So when you give, he's watching you. You better give sacrificially. It doesn't count if it's not by sacrifice. You heard all that. Now, there is scripture in the Bible that talks about giving sacrificially. There is a place in the Bible giving your whole life as a sacrifice. But in this context, let's have a look at what Jesus is really saying. Is Jesus... Complimenting now, it's nothing against the old lady here. It's nothing against the widow. He's making a point here because we need to understand what happened before and what happened after. So, Becky, can we go to before this? Look at this. Mark and, and Luke. Now, I've got them side by side and I'll explain why. What does it say? Who wants to read it for me? Okay. Then he said to them, he's teaching, beware, everyone repeat after me, beware of the scribes who desire to go. Come on, everybody, all together now, who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplace, the best seats in the synagogue, and the best places at the feasts. Who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers? These will receive the greater condemnation. Do you know when that scripture was? It says it in Luke as well. You know where they are? Matthew 12, 38, Luke 20, 45. Can we go back to the first slide? Look, the next thing he, he says, he goes, be wary of the scribes and the Pharisee 
They're coming to steal the widow's houses. And the very next story he tells, he's all of a sudden now he's out. Oh, look at that. You should do what the widow does. When they took her livelihood, you know what they were going to take next? Her house. He started the scripture with beware of the scribes. Then he went into this, the widow. Then he went into the destruction of the temple. Then he worked to the end of age. If you go back further, he curses the fig tree. And, and, and then they say, what authority do you walk in? And all these questions about his authority. If Jesus is telling us about the widow and be like the widow, the widow had a heart for God. Why were they robbing her? Because she just gave her livelihood. In other words, she gave her last cent to God. But who told her she had to do that? Because under the law, they were supposed to look after her. Under the law, they looked after widows and orphans. Yeah, who told this lady, if you really love God, you better give it all. And he just said out of his mouth, be wary of the scribes. They, you heard it? And they devour widows' houses. I want to show you something. Matthew. Matthew 23. Now, Matthew is speaking here. And who knows the seven woes to the Pharisees? Mate, Jesus unleashes against them. And he starts to say, I don't want to read the whole lot. Can we get the whole lot up? Just, I'm not going to read the whole lot. I just want to show you something. I want you to understand that, I know I'm going to be slow, Scripture interprets Scripture. I'm not saying the widow wasn't, had a heart for God. I'm not saying the widow didn't love God. I'm saying somebody was robbing her. And how do you please God? What did we read earlier? It's by faith, not by manipulation. You might say, well, she gave it to God, but she was broke. Next thing they're going to take her house. Next thing you know, she's on the street. This is the stuff the Pharisees were doing. This is the false teachings that we're doing. This is the stuff that's creeping into the church. If you give, God will give it back to you. Press down, shake it, and run up over. And that scripture doesn't mean nothing about money. It means about forgiveness. And we use it every day. So let's, let's have a look at this. Matthew 23. And Jesus spoke to the multitude and he said to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say do not... Um, do not do, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. In other words, they put burdens on you. This is Jesus speaking. Now, you would think that the law that Moses gave, they're implementing. No. They sat in the seat of Moses, so they got the law of Moses, and they doubled the burden on you. They manipulated you all for themselves. The rich in the widow, when the widow was giving her money, the rich he was speaking about were the Pharisees or the scribes or the rich people in the religious circle. And we're going to see this. So you know the gist here. He's a rebuke. Who's he talking to here? Scribes and Pharisees, yeah? He says, you put burdens on people, you don't lift one finger to help them. Then he goes down here, verse, let's jump down. It's all the same. Verse 7, greetings in the marketplace. And they can be called me, men, rabbi, rabbi, but do you not be called rabbi for there's only one teacher, the Christ, who you all are brethren. Do not call anyone on earth father for you have one father. He is in heaven. And do not call, be called teachers for there's only one teacher, the Christ. For he who is the greatest among you shall be a servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. So he's teaching now, you guys want people to serve you, but you should be serving them. That's what the Christ would do. Now he's, he's speaking secondhand. That he's the Christ. We know that. But he's teaching them because they don't believe he is the Christ. All right? Then he goes, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow anyone else entering to go in. They had the keys of the kingdom because God gave the law and the prophets to them. Are you with me? They had the law. They had the Torah. They, had, they were the ones that were supposed to tell the whole world about this Messiah coming one day. But they locked that up. But look at this. Out of nowhere, in the middle of this, look what happens. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive a greater condemnation. Isn't that the same scripture we read earlier in the other two stories? So are we talking about the same thing here? Let's see. Let's go all the way down. He keeps going. He's rebuking. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes. He gave him a good golf ball. He smashed them. 
And he finishes. It says, Jesus laments over Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather the children together as hens gather her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left for, to, to your desolation. For I say to you, you shall see me no more. And to you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, Jesus is absolutely rebuked the teachers of the law. Not every Pharisee was a scribe. All right, so the Pharisees could be scribes and Pharisees. A scribe is a teacher of the law. If you did a sin, you could go to him and ask him what necessary uh, sacrifices do I need to do? Well, how do I make this right? Because he knew the law back to front. And the Pharisees were always the teachers and the high priest and all that, all that religious circle. Here he starts to rebuke them and hammer them one by one. Then he says to them, he's speaking of God. The next chapter, look what he says. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came up to him and showed him the building of the temple. Does this sound familiar, guys? And he said to Jesus, do you not see all these things? Surely I say unto you, not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Are we talking about the same story? Are we talking about the same story? This is why it's so important to listen to the Holy Spirit. It's why it's so important to read your Gospels and read the Epistles and, and, and pray and meditate and, and have that time with the Lord because the Lord starts to marry Scriptures from different Scriptures so you don't get things out of context. Here I've just proved to you in the last two, Mark and, and Luke, he's talking about the same story, yeah? What are the chances of him going into the temple and seeing a widow put her money in and then walking out of the temple and they ask him about how nice the building is then what are the chances of that happening every day? No. Here, Matthew records the whole teaching. Then he finishes off with the temple being destroyed and what are the signs of the age? Time of the sign of the end of the age. Is it the same story? Is it the same story? Hear me, I want you to understand. Is it the same story? It is, because it finishes the same. All right, but the difference here, Matthew records the whole teaching. Mark and Luke record... Just that bit about, can we go back to the woe, you Pharisees? I think it was 14. I want to show you something. Where was it? Oh, here you go. Woe to you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you devour widows' houses. That bit, so we know the whole teaching of Jesus, yeah? So he must have been in the temple. So we know he walked out of the temple and they said, look at this nice building. And the same question they asked. So this bit is only recorded in Luke and Mark. Here he records the whole thing. If you add all three together, can someone please tell me what was Jesus teaching? Was he saying give like the, give like the widow sacrificially? Or was he rebuking the teachers of the law, ripping off people and manipulating people for the wrong pretenses? Does that prove it or not? Same story. In other words, this is mentioned three times. But Matthew goes into the whole story without the widow. So why would Jesus throw the widow in, in Luke and Mark? Why was that thrown in? Because Jesus doesn't change the subject. He's rebuking Pharisees. He's saying, oh, Jerusalem, you're going to be desolate. Then he goes, but can't give to this widow. What an what a awesome lady. She gave it all and, you know, that's the right. No, they were robbing her. And Jesus saw that. And he saw the fruit of the Pharisees. He saw the fruit of the temple and his heart was broken because he knew what the, that widow should have been looked after, not rip her off and then take her house. You see, if you don't understand the grace of God and that faith that goes with grace, you'll get ripped off as well. You'll, you'll rip off and you'll get ripped off. Why? Because whatever you give without, with this, that's not faith. There's no faith. There's no blessings on it. If you can give out a manipulation so the cows come home, you will not get blessed. When you understand God is your provider, when I saw this years ago, I've had blues with pastors about this scripture. And I have to sit up there and go step by step. And they, they go, no, no, no. And when I talk him through this, they go, you know what? I've never seen it like that. Why? Because when God gives you a revelation, he's trying to protect you from the wolves. We know that Jesus was upset. Look, I'll show you something. Deuteronomy. Did Jesus know the old law? He, was, he knew he was a rabbi. Look what Deuteronomy says. Oh, you got it out there. At the time, the Lord separated the tribes of Levi. Oh, wrong one. Show you which one. 18. Is that 10, 18? 18, sorry, no. Jesus knew the law, yeah? 
This is Old Testament still, yeah? True? He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow. And he loves the stranger giving him food and clothing. And I can go about 50 scriptures in Deuteronomy. Every now and then set out the, the tithe in the Old Testament. There was three types of tithes. One to the temple, one to the poor and the widow, and one to yourself. And yourself was to put aside just in case a stranger or someone was in need. It was actually 30%. But it was separated. You go, every now and then they used to say, take a third of, your, of the, the tithe from the temple and give it to the widow and the orphan. So the widow and the orphan was always looked after. Why all of a sudden Jesus shows up now and now they're devouring widows' houses and they're taking all their money. Who told that woman she had to give it all? What Her perception of God was, I must give it all. She gave her livelihood. She's going home with no more money going to starve. Then she might come back and say, listen, I've got nothing else to give. Because you know what? If you truly love God, give your house. But guess what? She wasn't never giving it to God. She was giving it to the Pharisees. See, that whole system that they designed. Because if you go back further in Matthew, he makes a whip. People say he just lost it, Jesus. Ah, he sat down, made a three-cord whip, put it together, and then he came in and he chased them all out. He, wasn't, he didn't just snap like a Levo, like an Armenian, like an Italian, like a Greek, like a... Who else is he? Have I missed anyone? Iraqi. What nationality are you, sir? Uruguay. Is that a country? I'm so joking, joking. <laughs> watch, him, watch him drive us out with... I'm joking, you know. I'm joking. But you get what I'm trying to say? He didn't just snap. He saw the corruption. He saw that system that was portrayed. He made a nice green whip and then he chased them all out. He cursed his fig tree. All through those chapters, what's he do? he's dealing with the deceit, the, the, the dishonor. All in his, and he says, my father's house is a house for prayer for all the nations. All the nations means even the stranger. You know um, where the widow was giving her coins was in a, the marketplace. They call it the, the woman's court. That's as far as the women could go in that court. It was the outer court. And everybody was there. A lot, everything. That's where um, the paraplegic was there. And, and Peter and John, uh, uh, yeah, Peter and John said, gold and silver I do not have, but what I do have I give unto you. Get, in that, get up and walk. That's in that gate. And they used to have a coin, like a funnel, and they used to throw it in and you could hear it falling into the treasury. So Jesus knew. But Jesus wasn't watching the woman, what she's giving. He wasn't sitting there going, I'm watching what you do. I need to know what you're doing. You better do it well. That's how it's been taught. He was coming and saying, who's ripping off this lady? Who told this lady she? Under the law, she had to give 10%. Who told her she had to give it all? Because we know in the very verse before, he's saying, be careful, they take your house. Why am I saying all this? Because religion comes to destroy and it robs your faith. But you see, what do I give? I give freely because my father gave me. I don't give in a logbook. I give because I'm going to serve the kingdom. I'm part of the kingdom. Any resources I have, I give. See, the tithe in the Old Testament was money, sheep, clothing, um, fruits from their vine. It was all about that. But guess what? If you don't understand, if you think God is a tyrant and I better do this because God says I better do this. and that, You know what you come to God? You come to God in legalism and he doesn't know legalism. He only knows faith through sonship. You're a son and a daughter of the king. I better give today because it's my... No, 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 don't, don't give. When, when Paul says, when you've agreed to give, make sure you fulfill that in your heart because it's freely yours and give with generosity, with cheerfulness. You know what he's saying? Cheerfulness means be, they were excited to run when they saw Paul. They ran to Paul to give him their offering so he could take it back to Macedonia or take it back to Corinthians or take it back to Jerusalem. It was cheerful giving. It wasn't just be happy about giving. No. Who's, who's had a birthday party here or you, you find out someone's got a birthday and you say, you know what, what are we going to buy for their birthday? You're, you're encouraged to go and buy a gift for that person. Why? There's nothing about what you're going to get back. It's not about how much it costs. You just want to go buy a gift. You know, when it comes to God, we need to teach you now, oh, you better give because we'll be giving back unto you. You know, if you don't give, you can't, you're robbing God and all these scriptures to manipulate you. And if you need to be enticed to give, don't give at all because it's a guilt offering, not a love offering. If you don't give freely, keep it. Because it's not freely given because he says it's by grace. He empowers you to give. He empowers, he puts on your heart to give. There's this sometimes he makes you give when you, can't, you don't have it. Yeah, but when he tells you, 
But you know what? Can I say something to you? Do you want to be like the widow? Now, that if you read it in its context, this poor widow here, it seems like it's a one-off event. It's a one-off event. That she go. No, 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 no. The reason why she's poor is that they've been robbing her for ages. It's interesting Jesus uses, the Bible talks about widows a lot. Who remembers the widow was hunched over for how many years? 18, oh, I forgot. Thanks, Dave. 18 years. I love David. He's just, he saves me. He's a rocky, by the way. 18 years. 18 years she's walking. It's probably the same woman. Who knows? And she goes and puts her money in the treasury, does whatever she has to do in the temple. She's hunched over for 18 years. And out she goes. Then she comes back. I wonder if anyone told her that God can heal her. I don't think so. Religion doesn't do that. Religion says, that's your cross to bear. 18 goes there. 18 years she's hunched over. Jesus walks in and sees this hunched over woman. He says, excuse me. Excuse me. Where are you going? I'm just, no, no, come back. No, I'm not talking to you, Sam. I'm preaching. Go outside. I'm joking. That was Sam, by the way. Uh, um, she's, she's hunched over for 18 years. And every day goes to the temple, faithful. Faithful woman, hunched over. And Jesus sees her. What does Jesus say? Wow, Jesus, I love her faithfulness. Jesus, I love how she's, even in her thickness and her, her weakness, she comes and serves. How dedicated she is. Does he say that? He says, isn't this woman the daughter of Abraham? He says, isn't she part of the covenant? Isn't she the daughter of Abraham? Isn't there a blessing attached to Abraham, the promise? In the name of Jesus, the spirit lived there. The Bible says that she had a spirit of infirmity. Uh, where she was de hunched over by a demon. That wrecks everyone's theology, but bad luck. That's what the Bible says. She had a spirit of infirmity, which is a demon, had her hunched over. For whatever reason, he goes, out she come. And she straightened up after 18 years. Jesus just, just operated in the kingdom, not in religious system. Where oh, you're a poor woman, she's so faithful, and she's hunched over. And God says, no, no, that's not the blessings of Abraham. She's a daughter of Abraham. I've come to fulfill the, door, the blessings of Abraham. Straighten your back up. That's the kingdom of God. Think about that for a second. He wasn't, the same with this woman. He wasn't condemning the woman. He's saying, but who told this poor woman when the law says look after her? Deuteronomy says, go out of your way to bless them. James. Let's go to James for a second. Do I give you James? Look what James says. Pure, listen to me, hear me out. And you know, I'll, I'll talk about this in a minute. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. You know what the world system does? The world manipulates the poor, manipulates the orphans, manipulates the widow. But God says, don't be like the world. Don't be in that system of the Pharisees because that was part of the world. He goes, pure, undefiled religion is to look after the widow. So I can show you a thousand scriptures about the widow being looked after. So who told her she had to give her livelihood? Can everyone see that? Can everyone see that? So when I used to sit there and hear the people, the teaching and the preaching about God, yes, we do give sacrificially. Yes, we give, but we have to give by faith according to the measure that God gives us. Are you hearing me or not? Because uh, listen to me. Religion will bring you under condemnation. Guess who's the greater damnation will be? It was the Pharisees. Remember he said? Greater damnation on them for their teaching. Psalm. Was it 68? Five. God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of the widows. Is God in his holy habitation? God's heart was for the widow and the orphan. I would like someone to tell me that I'm wrong. I'd like someone to tell me that God was saying we're, he's watching the treasury about what you're giving. Everything I received from God is by faith, through grace. Amen. I eat off the table of grace because I'm a son. Is there a responsibility once I'm in his sonship? Absolutely. Is there a responsibility when your kids grow older? Absolutely. They learn to mature 
and then they have to start standing on their own two feet and they start to serving God according to their faith, not according to mum's faith, not according to dad's faith. But listen to me, we need to learn what the scripture is saying here. And he is saying here, that woman was not receiving anything. If anything, she was going to lose the house. How much does that break your heart? And there's churches all around the world teaching this garbage. And the only one getting fat is the preachers. And I've heard every teaching on giving you can imagine. Tell me a theory of teaching and I'll tell you I've heard it. Am I against the giving? No. We can't be in this building if no one gives. We can't be doing the work of the kingdom if no one. Pastor Mondu is building a house and a church. Have you seen the photos of the orphanage? That's all finished. We might do some photos next time. We'll show you what God's given us. See, our heart is for the widow and the orphan. And Paul talks about it. I think Timothy or James talk about it. He goes, who is a widow? And this is the funny one. He goes, who's a widow in the church? Who's truly a widow? Well, that's a silly, silly question. She lost her husband. She's a widow. But who's truly a widow? Because what age is she? Is she old? Is she young? Can she work? Or is she going from house to house gossiping, causing trouble? <laughs> I love that bit. Because he wasn't going to get conned by anybody. He's saying the church is not a place for people to manipulate the church either. Oh, you're a widow, and then, but you've got, you got an ability to work, but you don't because you go from house to house causing trouble. That's what he was saying in that scripture. I love he was so honest, eh? We might feel, oh, she's a widow, we have to help her. No, no, if you've got the ability to work, work, or ability to serve, serve. Do you have kids? Don't you have kids? And there's all these things about widows. But ultimately, what the Pharisees were doing, they were, they were teaching doctrines and burdens on people that weren't even in the law. That's when you know you're ripping them. Because nothing was given in that temple system was for God. Nothing of it. That's why Jesus showed up. I believe that's when Jesus showed up at the appointed time. I think the system had fallen apart that bad. That's when Jesus arrived. I believe that. Because the Bible says, in the fullness of time, Jesus came. It was in the fullness of time. They had put that many burdens for people. They were pillaging and, and destroying people. If you go through the scripture, you read it all up. Now, I'm talking about a widow now, but it was everybody. Even the temple where they bought the sheep. You know what they were doing? You might not know this. In order for me to do a sacrifice in the temple, and I'm not a farmer, and I needed a pigeon or a goat or an ox or something, and I don't have it, I have to go buy one. What they would do, we'd go to the temple and either buy it off them for inflated prices, or if I, if say rabbits had a farm, and I need a good, I need a goat or a sheep to do a sacrifice. So give me, had to be without spot and blemish. He gave me his best one. I took it. It was good enough to be sacrificed, but he'll look at it and say, that's not good enough. Give us, give me that one, and we'll give you one of our ones for this cost. Then they would have the money, the Roman money, and they would transfer it in exchange for the temple money. And what they would do, they would charge a higher rate for the exchange. So if it was worth a dollar, they'd give you 50 cents for your dollar. So all this was happening where? In the temple. So instead of them trying to provide a need for you to come and serve God, they were merchandising it and having a profit and ripping you off. And that's why Jesus drove them out. So the whole system was set up for what? Stealing, robbing, cheating you. That's why he says they blessing God because of you. He's saying to the Pharisees, they blessing God because of you. Isn't it so important that we understand that by grace and by favor, that when we give, it's by his grace, by his mercy. When you understand that everything you have is not because your job gave it to you or because the economy, it's because of God's grace. Come on, somebody. When you start to say, yeah, I go to work, that's great. But that's not grace. If I go to work and work, that's it. I'll work, give me my wages. But when you understand that my provision is through him, the father of lights, he provides all my needs according to his riches and glory. Guess what happens? I give freely to his kingdom, whatever he wants. Because if I give it, it's his anyway. He gives it back to me anyway. Because he gives it to go through me. Does that make sense? So when I start saying, how come is it that we saved by grace through the blood on the cross? We're saved. How come is it we healed by his stripes? We are healed. How come, but when it comes to, oh, we have to give or you won't get received. So everything's by grace until it comes to offering time. No, no, if you don't give, you're robbing God. No, 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 you're not robbing God. But if God spoke into your heart and you delay, guess what you're doing? You're robbing yourself. Does God need money? Come on, man. He's interested in you. He's interested in me. If you're a tight person, stingy, I was going to say something else then. He'll make you give. If you just give everything and don't receive, he'll make you stop because it's a personal relation. But you need to listen to the Holy Spirit. And if you understand Scripture, interpret Scripture. You need to understand that story through three Gospels. 
Holy Spirit marries that up for you. Why? It, it opens that up for you to show, hang on a second. So all this time that I've come to God, I've come to God in a formula, not in a relationship. Imagine if my son said to me, Dad, am I allowed to take um, some water out of the fridge? I said, what have you done for me today? He said, I'll mow the lawn, take half a cup. What have you done, John Daniel? Here you go, new preacher. What if my other son, John Daniel, says, can I have a, can I have a Coke, Dad? I said, what have you done today? He said, nothing. I said, no. Would you do that to your own kids? Would you do that to your own kids? Yet we come to God like that. See, everything we have is by grace. Our provision is by grace. Everything you have is by grace. Our abundance is based on our stewardship. How much can I trust you to bless you? How can I trust you with the things of the kingdom? Remember this preacher named David? He actually wasn't a preacher. He used to come to our old church. He was a builder. And um, he, he, he's on the verge of giving a million dollars into the kingdom. Not at once, but over time. And he built Bible colleges and he built hospitals. In They set up host, uh, ch churches and Bible colleges in Solomon Islands and around the world. And he was a friend of my pastor. And he was a big guy. He's like six foot tall. He was a, he was a, a developer but in Queensland. And he would do talks about money and how to die to it. And if you're not getting up and praying in the morning and seeking God, forget all that. You're not going to get nothing, you know. He was really tough like that. And all these young people come. I was standing next to him. All these people come and say to him, Pastor David, he wasn't even a pastor. He goes, Pastor, can you pray for me? Because, you know, I want God to give me a million bucks for the kingdom. You know, he says, I swear I'll never change if I get that million bucks. And he says, you'll never, oh, you obviously never had a million dollars. Because you don't know how wrong you are. We all say we're not going to let money control us. We all say, oh, no, no, I'll never change until you get it. And if you're not dead to it now, it'll destroy you here. That's why we fast and pray. What are we doing? I might not have a big issue today, but there's something there that still hasn't died. I don't want to get to here and realize, hang on, I've let this grow and grow and grow. No one's life has been destroyed overnight. It's gone gradually. True? Look back at all our lives, where the destruction relationships that we formed or things that we spent time in it didn't come overnight it's gradual and god says let me kill it here before it gets to here jesus comes and says you know what this woman didn't just give those two pennies overnight they've been siphoning her for years and not seeing the blessing jesus is saying to you here tonight that you don't come to him in a formula you come to him as a son and a daughter. And when you understand he's your provider and you can be free in your heart, you'll give freely without even asking. Why? Because you give it to the kingdom. And the kingdom operates. You know, I often think, how can I say this? I often think, because we come in a generation of things are easy. True? Let's say no one's going to starve in Australia. If I lose my job, lose everything, I still won't starve. There'll be always someone to help me. There's always someone to knock on the neighbor's door. But what happens if your whole region's poor in poverty, like Pastor Mondu? During COVID, they were eating rice. They didn't have enough rice. They put rubber pellets in the rice just to fill their stomachs. They weren't even eating food, but just to put a bit of rice and rubber pellets so the kids in their... That's sad. That's an indictment to the body of Christ. That's an indictment to anyone that, that can, can, can do something for the poor and widow and don't do it. And Jesus is not interested in how good our message is, how good we sing, how good we dance, how many deliverance we have here. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how the crowd knows. You know what he's saying? He goes, what about the widows and the orphans? What about the lost? You know, it's interesting. I, this, is what God, this is how much God take, treats it. In, in the book of Job, he, said, he goes, the widows were so frequently a subject to abuse that the book of Job used the exploitation and um, it, it says the iniquity of man. They exploited the widows. Another word for widow. Oh, I, I thought this was interesting. There's a word named Almana, um, A-L-M-A-N-A-H. It's another word that derives from widow. But it's always used for countries. And he says this in the Old Testament, that Babylon and Jerusalem 
are, de are depicted as Almana, which is like a widow, their desolation and isolation from God. Remember, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem. Can we get back to Matthew? It was the, um, at the end, of, what's the, all the way down? Look at this. The word, El, El, was it? Almana. It's like, like manna in the desert, but Almana. El, El, and talks that Almana means to be divorced from God or to have, to be a widow, the widowed of God. In other words, you're no longer God's husbandman. Remember that Jesus talked about the husband, the gardener, and I'm the tree, you're the branch, I'm the vine, you're the, the husbandman. Look what it says here. It says, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers its chicks under her wings. What does a hen do? He gathers its chicks. Now Jesus is speaking. What is he speaking from? From a place of the Father. Look at this. He's speaking as if he's outside him. He gathers them like chicks under his wings. But you're not willing. See, your house is left to desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. At that time, Jerusalem was married to God through the law. The husbandman of Jerusalem, the bride, the, the apple of God's eye was who? Jerusalem. And the law was given to Mo, through Moses to the Jewish people. But when they were perverting it, it's like, oh, you're going to be left desolate. You're going to be left like a widow with no husband. Because I'm destroying this whole system. This whole system's coming down. Because what God meant for good, you turned it into evil. What God used the law to bring people into the kingdom, to show you the, the, the law that points to Christ, you push people away. Even in the seven woes, he says, can you get down a bit? I'll show you. you all the way down. Keep going. Whoa. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Can you go one more? See if I can find out. One more? Oh, I can't find it. It says, I promise, it's there somewhere. It says, you travel the whole countryside to make one convert. So you go and, and you preach Judaism. You bring him in, and guess what he says? And now he's twice the devil than he was when you first met. This is the system they set up. And what I'm trying to share with you today that if you're coming to God at a, at, from a legalistic point of view or you give out of a legalistic point of view or you're living in a place of sin or a place of disobedience and you want God to bless it, He's not going to bless it. If you're going to come to Him out of religion and look what I'm doing for you, He ain't interested. He's interested in a heart that is for Him to be obedient to Him, to serve Him for the purpose of the kingdom. And if you do that and you submit your life to Christ and you give according to His grace, guess what? All the kingdoms added unto you. But you have to get there first. So when you understand the heart towards God, because we have a heart for you, we will never manipulate you, never control you, never do nothing like that. Our heart is for the kingdom. What is God asking us to do? He might stretch us a bit. He might say, listen, God might put something on our heart to do something. He might stretch us. That's fine. That's according to God's will. But you're not here to be ripped off or manipulated or to rip off or manipulate or to use God as a genie in a bottle or to say, I'll put my $2 in the bucket. You, you better bless me, God. No, no, no. It's to know him, the one and only true God, and who Jesus, whom you have seen. Amen? Does that make sense? Now when you start to see, how many more scriptures have you believed that are out of context? So I've got a whole list of them that I used to believe. I'm not rebuking anyone. I'm not, all I'm saying is, when he becomes your teacher and you get rid of some of this garbage that we've learned, especially in the charismatic movement. I love the charismatic movement, the Holy Spirit moving, but hey, some of the stuff that they've taught is wrong. It's, there's no foundation to it. Scripture is right. Holy Spirit's right. But we need to understand that it's by faith through grace. Amen? Not manipulating God. Oh, here, I gave $10 here. You owe me God. No, he doesn't. We owe him. Because if you're truly submitted to him, your will be done, not mine. Can we stand? The system was designed 
to control and manipulate. But the gospel is designed to set you free. Because you're free. You can be free as you want to be. And this is a two-pronged message. Yeah, one, it's about giving and how to give, and, and we'll talk more about that. But the other thing is to be taught by the Holy Spirit. He's your teacher. There's another, there's another thing where I learned where you can be a, a son and live in the father's house, where you can share things from the father's house, but never be a son. And the Pharisees were never sons. The religious system of the day was never in sonship. Because he says, you are of your father the devil. You're doing his work. They're harsh words. If you read those seven words, read it. He just goes for them one after the other. Bang, you snakes, you vipers, you whitewashed tombs. You're, you look good on the outside, but you're full of dead man's bones. He just goes after one after the other. Bang, 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 bang. And it's easy to say, oh, those Pharisees were bad. Those church leaders were bad. But let me ask you, how many dead man bones are in your life? How many of you look good on the outside, but inside you're full of hatred and envy and strife? How many of you here have expectations on somebody else and not trusted in God in that expectation? How many has God asked you to give and you haven't? Or you've seen a brother in need and you said, I'll bless you later or I'll pray for you later, but you never get it. See, all these things are trying to hit our heart. Why? Because God wants us free. We want to be a conduit for him so he can flow through us. We saw three Gospels there. Same account. But when the Holy Spirit starts to bring it together, oh, hallelujah, you were free. And we'll never get caught in manipulation or control again. Because a lot of the times we give, and we find out, well, we're not getting nothing out of this. Stop giving. Or, they're just ripping me off. Or, you come to God like a genie in a bottle. Like I said, you go to put a, a, you're putting a, a, a bet on with the bookie and say, you know what, I gave you... This much, you owe me 30, 60, 100 fold. All these rubbish teaching that we've heard. But listen to me. <laughs> He's my father. He provides all my needs according to his riches and glory. Now, when I sow, I sow into his kingdom according to his will. And I'm cheerfully giving because he's my provider. Does that make sense? Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the word. Thank you for the meat of your word. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk in our sonship and not as slaves. We thank you, Father, for your wonderful grace. Thank you, Father, that you are the one that loves our soul. Your word cleanses us. I take heed to your word. Thank you, Father, that we are free. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. That all our provision is from you. We trust in no economy. We trust in no man. We trust in you, Jesus. That while you were rich, you became poor and took on poverty, that we might become rich. I thank you for your kingdom. That your will be done. I thank you, Father, that your word is true that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. You've promised us. And every promise is yes and amen. So I thank you, Father. Thank you. You're looking for a people that would love you for who you are, not for what we can get out of him. People that would give into your kingdom that the gates of hell shall not prevail. But more importantly, that we give our hearts to you. We surrender our hearts to you. You get all the glory. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. I pray a blessing over every person, Father, that the enemy does not steal the joy of the Lord. Let your covering be upon them. I declare by the name of Jesus that everyone is free. That anything that strongholds will be broken that they can walk in the goodness for your mercy. They may understand that you speak to them in a personal way. God is not a respecter of any person. Open your heart to him. And give him all the glory. Thank you, Father. We worship you. 
You are king. You are the Lord of all. Amen. Amen. Well, bless you guys. Hope you have a great day. What time is it? There you go. It didn't go too long. Um, floor's open if you want prayer. If not, we'd love to see you Wednesday. Uh, I think on, we better, uh, the 4th of December, guys, we're not on. The Sunday of the wedding, yeah? Okay. Sorry, guys, just put it in your diary, the 4th of December, which is not next Sunday, the Sunday after. Um, pretty sure. When we have a service, we have a um, function on, like a family thing on. And so we won't be here Sunday, but we're here up till Christmas time. And, then, and the Christmas pageant, the concert for the kids is on the 18th of December, yeah? Am I getting that right? Yeah, 18th of December. Are we having a meal? We're not having, we're just having a meal that day? Huh? Oh, okay. All right. We'll keep you informed, guys. Uh, but be blessed. Love you all. Thanks for listening. Amen. Thanks, Sam, for coming back. <laughs>